Sup freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's sponsor before we hop into the interview with Zach Prince and Renee Van Kestern from BlockFi. This week's episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by 21 Lectures. 21 Lectures' mission is to bring more developers to the Bitcoin ecosystem with in-person courses. Uh, these courses are lectured by world-renowned Bitcoin and Lightning developers. Uh, some of you freaks have definitely seen them on Twitter and in other places and GitHub repositories, more importantly. Uh, the 21 Lectures courses teach participants the fundamentals of working with the Bitcoin blockchain and technologies. Above it, like Lightning, they cover cryptography, the structure of transactions and blocks, and how they are chained together, smart contract languages, uh, the Lightning protocol, as well as software and toolkits to develop on top of Bitcoin and Lightning in particular. To learn more, visit 21lectures.com. That's 21lectures.com. You freaks know I'm all about education and spreading the good word about Bitcoin. More importantly, uh, making more people aware uh, of what it is and how to interact with it pertinently, uh, developers. Uh, disclaimer before we hop into this episode, obviously, BlockFi has been a sponsor of this podcast in the past. Zach reached out to me personally and wanted to uh, catch up and chat. We had in chat since last July and also jump into uh, the recent product that BlockFi released, the interest bearing account that got some blowback on Twitter. Uh, so we sort of sat down and walked through the product and how they're looking at it and the risk involved with interacting with it, the privacy stuff, every every all the stuff that you freaks want to hear. Um, another disclaimer, tested out a new mic uh, with this episode in particular. Uh, so number one, sorry that... It, if Renee and Zach seem a little distant, uh, I thought this mic was going to pick up their sound a little bit better. Uh, number two, it picked up a little bit of music. Wasn't expecting that either. And then number three, it's a bit of an awkward introduction because I'm sort of monitoring monitor, monitoring the new mic uh, as I'm introing Zach and Renee, uh, which produced a, a bit of an awkward intro. But the flow of the conversation gets better as we get into more IPAs and cider. Hope you freaks enjoy it. I know I did. And what is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a Tuesday night. I'm trying to think of what night it is. A Tuesday night in March uh, in the studio. Wife's at a show, so I got the studio apartment as the uh, podcast studio for the night. Very excited for tonight's uh, conversation. Uh, sitting down with two guests, one of which you freaks know already. Zach Prince from BlockFi. Zach, welcome back. Thanks for having me. And, Seems uh, like the podcast business is going well. Your place is very nice. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. It's, uh, Are you, again? You, get to, <laughs> you get to write all this off with uh, being a podcaster. The government pays for it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And uh, we've also got Renee, your last name, Van uh, Kestern? Van Kestern, close Van, enough. Van yeah. Kestern, yeah. Uh, BlockFi's chief uh, risk officer. Yeah. And uh, before we get into everything, it's been a, been a fun week for you guys. Before we get into... Uh, BlockFi specific stuff. Renee, this is Tales from the Crypt. Uh, we usually hear people's tale, how they got the Bitcoin, how they got where they are in the industry, uh, your path. We have not heard your tale. How the hell did you get here? Uh, yeah, so it started sort of, um, seriously started in the summer of 2017, although I heard about Bitcoin way before that. Um, I heard about Bitcoin way before that but uh, dismissed it as nerd money. Um, I actually had some people working for me that wanted to open up a Coinbase account and I told them they were not allowed to do that because uh, compliance would give a problem. That was at a bank at the time. Um, 
So I got involved in 2017, and quickly after that, met Zach and got more involved in, uh, in Bitcoin. And been a firm believer ever since. I'm still amazed about what the technology can do. And in my mind, it's already the killer app. Is the is the distributed ledger system and, and that we have right now in Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so how's uh, you been in the industry per, per se, advising for the last year and a half, two years, you'd say? Uh, so I started uh, an advisor in, in pretty early on, sort of in September 2017, when the company just started, mm -hmm. and joined full-time in uh, May 2018, yeah. so almost there a year now. So how's, uh, how's this industry compared to the industries of your prior life? Oh my goodness, uh, where shall I start? <laughs> <laughs> although, although um, but what were you doing before? Yeah, yeah before yeah. that, I was at uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch, uh, Legacy Merrill Lynch, um, in the uh, prime brokerage area, uh, Ammo Pro. I was a managing director, run a business uh, where we made uh, loans, so everything that fell actually outside of PB, the traditional margin lending, stock loan, and swaps, uh, that would come to me. and. Uh, you know, they had to come to me because it didn't clear and settle through DTC a regular way. So uh, you uh, you had to do other things like uh, say uh, a seat on exchange or physical gold or certificates, um, or it fell outside of the risk parameters. Um, you know, uh, someone that had twenty percent of a company uh, that they want to finance the stock, but uh, you know, or normally our risk system would kick that out. Yeah. Like middle market stuff. No, you should think about uh, this could be, uh, you know, big owners of ExxonMobil stock ah, okay. or, uh, you know, uh, the guy that owns Oracle, Ellison, that, that, those kind of things, you know. Sweet. Can I, ask, can I ask Renee a question? What, what were you doing before that and how much money did you lose in the financial crisis? <laughs> oh. Um, which one are we talking uh, which, which financial crisis? Oh, eight or nine. All right. So, 2008, 2009, uh, we did not lose money in uh, the business that uh, we had then. Um, you know, and I, I guess it's it's uh, it, it, it's 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 very collateralized uh, lending. So, in, in general, you should be fine. Uh, the biggest uh, risk that you have is uh, mostly around. Uh, mismatching maturities, right? So you make commitments to other people for a year and your financing is much shorter dated, but we did not have much of that. We had everything done in the right place. Yeah, and you were doing some like prop trading at Caxton before your- Before that, I was prop trading at Caxton, so. Uh, so you've seen some shit? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> so you've seen It's still on the go, actually, so. I don't wanna talk about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't very successful prop trading, to be honest. So. Yeah. What's been the, uh, the biggest difference getting into the Bitcoin world? How are these markets compared to uh, the ones you're coming from? 24-7. Uh, right? It's yeah. constantly open. right? And there's also there are a couple of differences. Like one thing, uh, people talk about the Bitcoin price, but such a thing doesn't really exist. Right? Bitcoin has many prices okay. at the same time at many different places. Uh, Bitcoin is the same thing in Beijing as it is in New York, right? Uh, whereas IBM stock is different in the U.S. than it is overseas right? because in China, it will be actually still sitting in the U.S. and the U.S. government can still take it. But, mm -hmm. um, you don't have a Bitcoin 24-7, as I said, um, sort of the main things. Uh, it's pretty cool. Settlement, yeah, there's no settlement, right? That's actually very interesting too. So um, I think in, so in traditional markets, you have these couple of layers, as you know, you got uh, sort of the central clearing houses like DTC, uh, and then you have broker dealers on top of it or banks uh, that are members of DTC. And then you are a customer of the bank or of the broker dealer, uh, and, and they keep track of it. 
in general, there's this whole clearing cycle. So when you actually buy or sell IBM stock, you don't get it at that moment. You'll get it. Uh, it's it's uh, T plus two now. So I get two days later. Mm -hmm. um, in Bitcoin, obviously, the selling cycle is much shorter. Um, it made it's actually you know it's it's like well, whatever ten minutes per block. So you want to wait a couple of confirmations. So I guess it's like twenty to an hour, twenty minutes to an hour. Yeah, it depends on your confirmation limit that you want to hit. Your threshold, I guess. That's right. You can also wait uh, if you want to wait longer. More certain, right? You can wait a day if you like. But, right? Uh, yeah. No, it's fascinating. And, um, there's, a, it's, there's another big benefit, too, since, uh, for interrupting, but since we're at the settlement, too. If you look at regular markets, you have uh, everybody has their own record of where things are, right? Um, so you have constant reconciliation that goes on over those two business days between multiple parties, right? So. You had an account at Deutsche Bank, and you sold it to an, to someone that had an account at Morgan Stanley, and they need to sort of like, oh yeah, I see it, and I can see it too, and then he needs to go to DTC, and they have like their own reconciliation going on. Whereas in Bitcoin, obviously, um, you don't have that. Uh, there's one ledger, we're all looking at the mm -hmm. same movie the whole time. Uh, yes, yeah. Zach, no, I yelled many times for. Yeah, we get we get in trouble sometimes with product ideas where. Some will say something about making the user experience from somebody who's borrowing or depositing or something a certain way, and Renee's like, screw that, just tell them to look at the blockchain. Tell them to look at the blockchain. Is right. it there? If it's there, you got it. Like, it's done. Yeah. Right? That's, yeah, it's cool, right? No? Yeah. No, and it, it, like, with the DTC. I mean, I can open up the browser too for you, but why would you ask me? I just look yourself. Right? Right? Like, is that like the whole point that you can see it yourself? Well, this goes into like a whole other conversation, a theme of this podcast in particular, which is the UX around the experiences of people interacting with companies like BlockFi or exchanges like Gemini or Block Explorers like blockchain.info or blockstream.info. I wouldn't recommend blockstream because it's a lot better in my opinion. But the UX around it, like you can have new experiences. Like things like proof of reserves you can prove on the blockchain with signatures and stuff like that and now settlement as well so it's uh it's a new it's a new it's a new like mindset for people like oh i can actually verify this where i can't they're not going to go verify it on swift or within the banking network they just see it in their their banking account yeah they're checking it out yes bookkeeping by one person yeah you hope they got it right and in general they got it right but, yeah, yeah. The auditing is just built in. Yeah, yeah. Built but you got to keep your own records too. Yeah, I don't want to jump right into rehypothecation, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's like, this is like naturally what's going. We, but we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. Um, fascinating story. Fascinating tower day. Yeah. Zach, let's catch up now. It's been like seven months. I know it's been we, a while. You were telling me the price when we had our conversation was seven thousand dollars. We were looking on the way over here. Yeah. You know, I was like, when was the last time I was here? But. Um, you know, even more importantly, to, to touch on your rehypothecation point, I was thinking on Sunday, you know, we had an announcement last week, there's been a lot of uh, attention given to the announcement, a lot of questions. A lot of Twitter hoopla. Twitter. A lot of, a lot of Twitter hoopla, and um, I was like, alright, how are we going to respond to this? Like, one, next time we launch a product that's as big of a uh, attention getter as this, we will be sure to learn from the amount of information we put out this time relative to the amount of information we'll put out next time about what's going on behind the scenes. But two, like, okay, here we are. Where are we going to talk about it? And I was like, Tales from the Crypt was my first podcast. Uh, I want to bring Renee. He hasn't done a podcast before. He loves beer. Marty loves drinking. <laughs> and we just had to come here first, man. So we're, we're pumped to be here again. I'm happy to see you. Based on your apartment, I would say that you've done okay in the bear market. We found a way to 
keep growing throughout the period. <laughs> uh, you know, we raised, since we were last here, we raised uh, some more money from uh, some great investors, including Fidelity. We continued to grow the team. We've continued to uh, build products, including the one that we, we launched last week. So it's, um, you know, I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling really bullish. I've, I've been saying to people that the price is going to be higher at the end of this year than it was at the beginning of this year. And what would, that's going to do is attract attention. Yeah. And then new people are going to come in 2020, and then we've got all the happening stuff too. And so uh, if you're still alive, still growing, still doing well, it's a, it's a phenomenal time to be in this market. Yeah. Well, first off, freaks, if you can't feel it already, I'm blushing if you can't feel it through your butt. Thank <laughs> you for the kind words. I really appreciate you thinking of us in particular. Um, and secondly, you're looking great. Uh, considering the prices halved and then risen a little bit, you you would think you would you would look haggard and, and out of shape, but you're looking svelte. Luckily, we built our risk management system. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, yeah, I guess like yeah, let's drop it. So, for any of you freaks who are not on Twitter and are not uh, involved in the crazy uh, chaos that is Bitcoin Twitter, um, obviously BlockFi just released uh, an interest-bearing account that uh, uh, any Bitcoin or Ether holder can send to, to to gain interest on that up to 6.2%, correct? Yeah, so the interest right. rate in the account right now is 6% a year. It's paid out monthly in crypto, and after interest is paid out, it earns interest because it's part of your balance. That's called compounding interest. So the yield in the account is 6.2% annually. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's break down. So you guys basically release your terms of service where you said... Uh, Basically, anything like everything that is possible when you're engaging with a, a Bitcoin third-party custody uh, service, which is it is possible with this technology that stuff can get stolen, has gotten stolen in the past, and you're just letting people know this has happened. This is a risk. Uh, this is a risk. I would argue for any Bitcoin exchanger or, or platform out there. Number one and number two, uh, having been in the fund space and been on a due diligence team. To me, that just looked like clauses that were abundance of caution, just trying to be as transparent as possible. Um, but then on top of that, people have uh, people have worries about uh, who's lending, who's taking out the loans on the other side, other side where they're doing it with it, and how's that going to affect uh, the Bitcoin held in the accounts? Uh, most importantly, is it short sellers? And with Bitcoin's volatile price in the past, how you, how's your guys' risk management system set up for that? So. Let's just dive into it. Yes. Yeah, so, Is that good? Is yeah, that... absolutely. I mean, look, um, and, and we can take this down a few different paths, but um, how, about I, how about I address what I think were kind of the two biggest things that came up as feedback on the terms and conditions, touch a little bit on rehypothecation, and then we can go into some of the more risk management type things and understand like how we're, how we're handling that and what our system is and how it works. Yeah. So I think the two biggest things... Um, that we heard about the T's and C's were, were two sections. One section that basically said uh, BlockFi is not liable for any uh, damages you may incur in the event that we have to suspend withdrawals. So there's all this stuff like something might happen and you might not be able to withdraw your crypto. Um, and where that came from is that uh, one abundance of caution, and in general our terms of service were written with an abundance of caution type approach. Uh, we're doing something that um, 
doesn't fall into a particularly clear regulatory construct today. So when you work with your legal teams to build things like this, they just say you have to be really careful. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you read a stock prospectus for an IPO, you're, if you read the whole thing, you're going to think you shouldn't buy the stock because every single risk is going to be spelled out. It's going to sound like a horrible business, and you're going to be like, I should, why am I even participating in this market? So that's the bucket that we fell into in terms of our legal representation. But on that section about uh, withdrawal um, disruptions, the reason we had to do that is because we're not actually, BlockFi is not actually custodying the crypto or holding the private keys. We decided early on that that was not something that was kind of our role to play in the market, given what we wanted to do was build debt and credit type financial products. So we partnered with Gemini. And so basically the legal team is like, well, what happens if Gemini suspends withdrawals for a while? And we're like, well, then we can't withdraw anything. And they're like, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the second thing, the, uh, the rehypothecation section, um, what I'm hoping to do today and also through uh, more dialogue in the, in the future and some articles that we're going to put out is explain why I think it's important for us to make rehypothecation not like a, a boogeyman word. Um, understand. Big boogeyman word. It's a huge boogeyman word. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if you don't know what it means, or even if you do, if you like say it, you're like, oh God, that sounds scary. Like, I just don't want you to do Let's not do that. Let's not do that at all. But here's what rehypothecation means. It just means that an asset from somebody else that was posted as security or is owed back to them and put in a new place gets re-lent out. It's basically the core value proposition of being able to earn interest on your Bitcoin through someone like BlockFi is, okay, I'm going to put my Bitcoin with you. You're going to lend it out. There's going to be a return generated, and I get to make that money. That's how it works. Mm The two things um, that are value add uh, from rehypothecation are one, uh, in traditional markets, rehypothecation has been a huge uh, uh, downward cost driver for access to products. So the reason that you can trade for free, the reason that fees on uh, you know ETFs and other asset management vehicles, the reason that custody, all of those things are like either free or close to free in traditional markets is because of tools like rehypothecation. Um, the other thing is on the short selling point, uh, if, you, if you listen or read what the SEC says when they're declining Bitcoin ETFs, they frequently come to this topic of fair and orderly markets. And the, the function of being able to borrow an asset and express uh, multiple different views in terms of where you think an asset will move is a core function to having a fair and orderly market. And so the type of lending that we do uh, helps to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Now there's a separate question of how do you manage the risk and how risky is that and um, obviously we're very thoughtful about that and we should talk about it. But those two things I think people should remember and then it's like a thematic overhang I think I believe that what we're trying to do is compete with the traditional system, whether that's the traditional financial system or the traditional fiat system. And the reality is those guys have a bunch of really badass tools that they've built over a long time that work really, really well. Capitalism is insanely powerful. Like 
there, there isn't some technological thing other than the blockchain that's like the one exception that that the financial system hasn't figured out how to do in some way, shape, or form. They just might have done it with legal documents and financial structuring instead mm -hmm. of technology. And if we're trying to compete with that world and we're not able to use the same tools, I don't think we have a big chance of winning. And then lastly, then we should jump into risk management or take more questions. Lastly, I would just say, um, just because something exists in the market doesn't mean it has to be for everyone. The cool thing about Bitcoin is that that stuff could go on and you could choose to just opt out of it. Yeah. You, you, you know, not everybody has to use things. You want a diversity yeah, of options. Really. No, that, that's, <laughs> no, that's what I... I'm not even relieved. I'm just like, yeah. why is everybody freaking the fuck out? Like, you don't have to use it if you don't want to. I get, But people are worried, I guess. So, like, rehypothecation, the big... Why it's a boogeyman word is because people assume uh, that there's notionally more Bitcoin than than anybody could possibly have claim to. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's not necessarily the case, right? So if you think about if you... The supply of Bitcoin is pretty given, and actually we know that right today what it is, right? I think it's 80 million something, whatever, right? There will not be more. It will approximate 21 million by formula unless somebody changes the protocol, which doesn't seem very likely, right? So uh, if you actually lend out the Bitcoin the way we do it, because of where we are, we... We, we would lend it out via the blockchain. So it will be recorded on the blockchain. So we have to have the Bitcoin. We cannot mm -hmm. lend out Bitcoins we don't have. Yes. So, so that's, that's, that's not happening with us, right? If you think about the, some of the exchanges that do offer sort of this leverage trading and shorting uh, at the 100x, right? Um, they're obviously, they work a lot more like the rehab application will work in a broker-dealer land, right? So like what, what Morgan Stanley Merrill Lynch can do or Schwab can do for you, right? So mm -hmm. they will have a thousand, they have, uh, they have customers that are combined long a thousand shares of Apple. They've got a bunch of customers on the other side that are short 500 shares of Apple. Nets, they have 500 shares of Apple needed, right? Because they just internalize the short versus the longs. Mm -hmm. And that 500 sits at DTC. So they only record 500 shares of DTC. Mm -hmm. Then with that combined with the settlement cycle of T plus two and all the things that go wrong, all the reconciliation that happens, you miscount things, right? And I mean, people use many examples that that happens, um, but it even happens around dividends as well, right? Um, that, you know, that's not what we're doing, right? And, and even that is okay, if, as long as you're aware of it, right? As long as you know, hey, that's happening and that's why I get the leverage, right? So the guy that, that has the thousand shares of Apple now only needs to put up, you know, 10% or 20% of the value of his Apple shares because the broker dealer can turn around to lend them out, make money that way, etc. Right? Yeah, how, how much uh, of Bitcoin being a bearer asset comes into play here? Like how, how big and changing sort of the structure of these debt markets, uh, if at all? I don't know. Sorry, uh, I didn't get the question. Bearer asset, meaning like you can yeah, hold it. Like yeah, you can yeah, hold yeah, it yourself, right? Like, I can't... Some so Bitcoin is a better asset, right? Yeah. I mean, you could you can do indices around it, right? So I mean, you 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 can reference the value of Bitcoin as a trade somewhere, but actually owning Bitcoin that is a better asset. That that has to go. You can have somebody else can hold it on your behalf, right? By opening up an account at many of these places, you can. But the beauty of Bitcoin is, unlike securities or money, you can actually hold it yourself. Yeah. Right? You can transfer it to your own private key. 
Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I, I failed miserably at that once or twice. Somebody else. That is I mean, right. you, you go download that Ethereum wallet. That's not easy, man. You tried it, yeah. I tried it. I tried yeah. to set up an Ethereum. I couldn't. Bitcoin worked. Electron wallet. I got that done in a couple of hours, but. Uh, yeah, Ethereum. Ethereum was like I couldn't get it done. You know, this, this didn't sync with nodes or something. It's uh, yeah, that's a yeah, big problem they're having. But we're, we're not sure what a full node is or what it's yeah. okay there. Um, apparently, there's only one one to three full nodes in the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, this yeah, block yeah, cipher yeah. let us know earlier this week. But I guess what I was trying to get at is like, so like gold and like using gold as collateral, but people like rarely like call the physical gold or like tape. Yeah, that, that, was a, that, that was actually good. So there was a couple of years ago, I don't know, four or five years ago, that there was this, oh, oh my God, this is actually enough gold in the world, right? Well, first of all, it's actually, that's even a very interesting topic, right? Because we even don't know how much gold there is in the world. We actually don't even know how much gold is above ground. We right. actually don't even know how much gold is in Fort Knox, right? right? Whereas in Bitcoin, we know all these things. So mm -hmm. at least one side of Bitcoin we know very well, right? Now, you can still have all these other claims and people say, oh, you know, well, if I'm going to ask him to give me my gold back, he's going to ask, you know, he's going to ask that guy and then I have to get my gold over there and mine will be there, so let's not do this, right? I, I got that. But that's, that with Bitcoin is not really possible because we actually know exactly how much gold, how much Bitcoin there is. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, you know, could you design claims on, on Bitcoin? Yeah, you can always reference the price. And actually, that's happening today. CME, you know, trades $100 million of futures a day. No Bitcoin. Uh, no Bitcoin. Right. right. They have no Bitcoin at CME whatsoever, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just referencing the price. They find the buyer and the seller. No, it's like, no, it's just fascinating watching these markets develop and sort of the fear. Like, people are like, I think people just have an existential fear of repeating the mistakes that led us to 08 and shit like that. Um, so, I guess let's drop, drop into risk management. So, how are you managing uh, the margin risk in particular, uh, especially if short sellers are lending this on the other side? And, Bitcoin's volatile price history. Well, but, but you, you can, there are sort of two main ways of managing it, right? So one, you can do it like you do with equities or securities in general, right? Where you just get collateral. So you say, hey, I'll give you a value of a million. Uh, you're going to give me uh, 1.2 million back in dollars. Okay, right? uh, and then you monitor that. And, you know, with Bitcoin, the interesting part is that you can monitor 24-7 and you can even make margin calls 24-7 because they can send it right back, right, uh, if, if there's a problem. And that's sort of what we, what we do in some part of it. Uh, the other part is more you, you act like a bank. So you say, hey, I, uh, I got people depositing money with me. I'm making loans. And I then now need to manage the, the credit risk to the other side. So you do, the, obviously, the, the credit due diligence on, on the borrowers of the Bitcoin, right? as if it's like borrowing yen or euros, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you diversify, right? And then you have capital against that in case one of them doesn't work out. Right? Yeah. Um, but uh, in general, the diversification is probably the biggest tool you have. And how's that diversification work as you guys scale up and, and your book gets bigger? Uh, finding a lot of counterparties, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets stronger. The big, yeah. there's uh, there's there's benefits to scale. Yeah. Um. So the uh, you know, when you're doing the lending over collateralized, that's pretty easy. Even even with the uh, price gapping up, because that's just you just model and look at the data and you say, okay, I want to be okay and. 99.9% of the scenarios and like if a 0.01 happens then a, then a 0.01 happens and you figure it out then um, but that part's pretty easy and that's by the way that's the same system that we've used 
since January of 2018 on the USD loan side of things, except now instead of needing to take those actions when Bitcoin prices go down, we also need to take those actions when Bitcoin prices go up. Mm-hmm. And it's modeling the same way. You're modeling volatility, you're modeling, you're modeling volatility over time, and then you're modeling liquidity access. Um, the other part, the, the counterparty credit risk part, uh, to understand how we think about that, um, I think it's helpful to understand how we've kind of like segmented that market. So right okay. now we think that right now we, we think of it as having five kind of distinct segments. The first segment uh, is CME and SIBO futures. These are ranked by kind of as a general rule uh, credit quality of the counterparties in the segment. So number one is like CME and SIBO. I mean that's they're like less risky than than, than the U.S. Government. They default. We're fucked. Well, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, like if, if you have defaulted at so the decentralization, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like if, if those things go down, we got bigger problems. Mm-hmm. Which um, is actually very, very interesting, right? So if you look at the sorry interrupting, no worries, no worries. If you look at the U.S. government, right, or actually bank regulations, and they all force you to go to a central counterparty, which is completely antithetical to the Bitcoin uh, you know, concept. Mm-hmm. It's it's about you know much more being diffuse and zenish and have a very small attack service instead of here, like, you know, you have to go after one guy, right? right. CME and the CBOE, and you can stop a lot of the U.S. financial systems and then, you know, Somebody pulls it down, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. rabbit hole. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We like that here. We, should be, we can go down. Okay. Yeah. No, but it's, uh, it's fascinating. Um, especially... With like the price movements and all, so I guess what we should jump into is how like one thing I'm fascinated is you guys are are, are sort of getting uh, your bearings in a bear market, I would say. Like, and how's that been? How've your risk models uh, sort of reacted to the price reaction over the last gone down fifty percent and then up a little bit since we last met? Um, we were too conservative. That's what we uh, concluded. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was one of the conclusions we had. But we we had, but. Um, at a higher level, I mean, we, you know, the risk system worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, our portfolio never even came close to losing a penny on the USD loan side in terms of being upside down with how much collateral we had relative to the lending balance. Um, and so that, you know, that performed as expected, worked as designed, no issues whatsoever. Um, other than something that I think is interesting to mention because it brings up a point that I think is important around uh, just code versus around valuing a client relationship. So one of the times that our risk management system was firing on all cylinders was like, it was like Thanksgiving night at 10 p.m. or something. (laughs) The market was, you know, the market was going down aggressively and uh, our risk management system was working, which meant that we were selling Bitcoin. Um, the next day, uh, of course, we wake up and some of our clients are like, guys, uh, I, I have more. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't want to sell. I could have given it to you, but, you know, I was passed out from eating too much turkey. And, uh, you know, and our response was basically, no problem. Let's just send more. We'll unwind the trade and it's all good. And we're able to do that because we have rules, but 
we get to choose whether we implement them rigidly or not. You're bringing a personalization to this. By the way, it was not unwinding too. It was actually we did an opposite trade. Not yeah, so you yeah, just it can't, it can't undo the trade, right? Yeah. So oh, you correct. just yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. It's just technicality. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of even or negged it out, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but that's that's another thing. So how we just bought the Bitcoin back yeah, and yeah. didn't charge people for any of that. We're like, okay, cool. And so, we can just do that. We'll do that right now for you. Thank you for being a client. What's that experience been like on the customer service side? Uh, how, so how do you guys view that? Like, uh, like how are your competitors doing it, and how are you guys trying to do it differently on that side? We our, our business strategy is to try and get to a place like the place that the first bank you ever had might have with you. And what place is that? It's like for me. Uh, I have four or five different accounts with Chase Bank. I have a debit card, a credit card, checking account, savings account, and maybe some insurance or something. And I get letters in the mail all the time from Bank of America or somebody else, and it says, we'll give you $250 to open up a checking account with us. And that's free money, but I just throw it away because I'm like, that sounds miserable. What am I going to do? Like get rid of all my accounts? And like I just do everything there. Our business strategy is to try and do that same type of thing, have that same type of relationship with our client where we have like three, four, five things that we offer that they like and use and therefore we're able to have stickiness. Mm-hmm. And stickiness, having uh, stickiness with your, with your clients is something that's incredibly important in financial services. If you listen to the first podcast, you know I come from like a FinTech background uh, specifically in the lending side where you had a lot of new companies competing to build big businesses. And one of the things I learned was if you can generate client satisfaction and like affinity to your brand or just happiness with your service, then you can win a little bit in financial services which are hyper-commoditized. Like generally financial services, you're giving me a product and I can price it against somebody else's and if they're cheaper, like I don't care about you. It's a, it's a loan. Like what, I'm going with the cheaper one. Right. But if you can do things where you build enough of a relationship, you have enough of a diversified product set, you're delivering enough value and, and frankly, if people like just kind of like you enough, then you're able to get a little bit of pricing power. So that's, that's our strategy and this is our second product. We'll probably have two more products that come out this year and then another one to three over the following two years, and we're gonna try and make each one of those applicable and valuable to as many of our clients as possible. That's awesome. What have most BlockFi users been using the either the USD loans, or obviously they'll be using the interest account to get interest, but uh, the USD loans in particular, what are, what are most people using it for? Or, or do you even know? Uh, we ask as um, as part of the kind of loan application process. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you going to do with the money? Um, the only wrong answer there is if you say something illegal, which we've had some like a few just random hilarious responses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's the funniest one? Got thrown off the platform. <laughs> I think it, you know what? I can't remember the word anymore, but it was some slang word that I hadn't even heard of before that meant like I'm starting a blue ice factory or something like that. Yeah, it, well, it meant like it meant like I'm gonna I'm gonna like drug deal. Like yeah. it was some word for like slanging. I'm slinging sloppy tunes. I don't know what what the expression was. Breaking bad for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it was something like that. Um, so we, we see a split depending on the size of the loan. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for loans under $20,000, we generally see that they're being used to pay down higher cost debt. Mm -hmm. So uh, we make loans at rates as low as 4.5% a year now, which if you have a you know unsecured personal loan, certainly if you carry credit card debt and you also own crypto, it makes perfect financial sense to just take a loan from BlockFi, pay off the higher cost debt, and now you're you still have debt, but it's at a lower price. Mm -hmm. um, above a twenty thousand dollar loan size, it's a wealth management tool. So we uh, we see people who um, buy houses, uh, specifically investment properties, um, diversify into other traditional assets uh, like stocks or, or bonds uh, or private equity investment vehicles, all without selling their crypto. So they still keep their long Bitcoin position and they don't trigger a taxable event. And then in emerging markets, we're just kind of starting to get into emerging markets. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Which ones? Um, well, we're focusing on LATAM on mm -hmm. the emerging market side. We're, we're also focusing on uh, Japan on the mature market side. Um, so, you know, down there, it's this story of like, Governments and corporations have been able to borrow dollars, like that's been a thing they've been able to do for a really long time. And that market hit new highs last year, crossed 11 trillion, uh, but retail has never been able to borrow dollars. And now they can, if they own Bitcoin. And they can do it at a cheap rate. And that's really valuable. It's a really valuable uh, utility for Bitcoin to have. So. Um, it's just a way to keep their Bitcoin, get access to more liquidity at a low cost. I mean, if you're in Argentina, I think you know, consumer credit rates down there, it's like 50% because the inflation in the economy is so high, the pesos crashed three times in 100 years. Um, so you have this dramatic uh, diversity of rate environments in the world. And in places where the rates are really high, Bitcoin as a vehicle to secure low cost financing can be insanely valuable. And so we're trying to do more of that. Like we're starting to put out press releases in Spanish. We're interviewing with some of the uh, crypto, um, you know, Spanish language media sites and stuff. So we're, we're excited about that. That's dope. Um, yeah. are, what, what are the different obstacles like with the governments and banking systems down there than you have here in the U.S.? Are they like welcoming you with open arms? Like we're not touching them. No? We're not touching them yet. So. Okay. Uh, if we wanted to um, make a loan in Argentinian pesos and transfer it from an Argentinian bank to another Argentinian bank account, we would need to, we would need we would probably need to do the same thing that we did in the U.S. Like understand exactly which licenses we need and have local bank accounts. Um, but we're kind of deciding not to do that yet. Mm -hmm. And so when we fund the loan, we either fund it with an international wire, or we fund it in a stable coin. Um, and when we say when we say stablecoin block we mean uh, one of the ones that has like verifiable dollars in a U.S. bank account, like GUSD or or PAX or mm -hmm. um, some of the others that are in that camp, not like the Tether or Dai camp. Okay. Uh, so we fund it either via international wire or one of those, you know, and they just dollar back stablecoins. Yeah, and they just eat the conversion fee, or um, so that they don't like. They wouldn't, they wouldn't hold the U.S. dollar on your platform and then use it from there. No, obviously not. No, but we want to enable that in the future. Yeah. So we've been looking into options where we could, for example, create a, a virtual debit card 
mm-hmm. um, that could be spent anywhere, denominated in dollars, uh, but available to be issued to someone who's in Argentina or Brazil. Yeah. Um, haven't found the answer to that one yet, but I think that would be really cool. Yeah. No, it's crazy how... So how much has Bitcoin enabled this creativity that you have and this ability to... Yeah, all of it. Yeah. I mean, not, n- neither one of our products that we have right now would work without Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it is the thing. And if Bitcoin weren't in the market and you didn't have a market leader like Bitcoin with a 60, 70, I don't know what the market cap of Bitcoin is right now, but, you know, 60, 70 billion-ish market cap, then businesses like ours couldn't exist because our addressable market would be too small. So without Bitcoin, there's no any of what we're doing. It's great to know. Thanks, Bitcoin. Thanks for enabling all this cool shit. Um, back to the interest-bearing account. I think one another question I forgot to ask. And So like the interest rate is 6.2% annual potential right now. How does that fluctuate? Obviously, it's supply and demand for the book, correct? Um, and, and how are you sort of coming to that, that uh, inflation rate so, on an ongoing basis? Uh, it, it's two things. It's um, supply and demand for the book... Plus, our uh, our customer acquisition cost mm-hmm. budget for this product. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, you know, for 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 better or worse, the business strategy and path that we're on is a venture capital funded path. Mm-hmm. So, in the same way that it took Amazon a long time to actually become a profitable business. We're in general going down the path of like, maybe we're not profitable until six years from now. Mm-hmm. And as long as our growth rates are really high, VCs are like, yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> keep it going. We'll keep buying more of your company, you know, every, every year when you need another round of funding, uh, as long as you're growing. Um, so it's, it's the market plus uh, uh, a budget of our equity capital that we're comfortable spending on delivering a product that attracts new clients to our platform. Yeah. And what do you think you need to do to hit, like, breakaway speed where you become profitable? Like, how big does your product suite need to be? How big does the liquidity pool on your book need to be? Uh, uh, well, well we, don't, um, we don't think about uh, necessarily profitability from a, from a single product line perspective. Mm-hmm. We yeah. think of it from a, what does it cost to acquire a customer? And then... How much revenue do we generate from the multitude of things that that customer may do with us, less our uh, you know operating expenses of delivering that product, um, which is a fancy way of saying we have no clue right now. <laughs> we're going to keep building a bunch of things, and as long as we're growing, uh, as long as we're still growing, and you know the the interest account was a huge success in that regard. We we set, we set what we thought was an aggressive target when we launched the beta in January. We blew past it for Q1. We blew past it mid-February. So then we like reset an aggressive target, and then we blew past that in, in the first week since the press release. Um, so despite some of the sentiment on Twitter, the sentiment and the data in terms of you know, sign-ups and clients and all of that has been... Uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, so it's working really, really well. As a matter of fact, we decided to 
start raising our next round of capital on a slightly faster timetable than we were planning because the metrics look so good. A whole bear market. What does that say? We're bringing, we're, we are bringing products to the market that weren't there before. I mean, with the, there wasn't an account like this interest account before from a company that is legitimate. And by legitimate, I mean doesn't have an insanely high level of counterparty risk and didn't do an ICO. Right. So we were, you know, if you exclude those two things, we were the first ones to do this. Um, and it's an attractive rate. And we thought a lot about, you know, where do we set the rate? We know how much we can lend it out for to some people, but as your supply that you have to lend out goes up, uh, the rate that you're able to charge generally goes down. So there's a little bit of finger in the air, right? Like, okay, if it, what works at 5 million might not work at 50. What works at 50 might not work at 500. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to use, you know, data plus judgment. And uh, yeah, so we, we wanted to put something out there that we thought was attractive, but also sustainable. Um, and that's how we got to that number. How long do you think somebody would have to uh, keep Bitcoin or Ether in this interest-bearing account uh, to a point where it's, yes, it's like 6.2%, but with taxes and stuff when you take it out, like how long would you recommend somebody lock up Bitcoin in this account to to sort of get the best bang for their buck in the long run? Like from a... Forever. (laughs) Right, yeah. From a time time perspective. How how long do you keep dollars in a bank account yeah so like what is the target customer somebody's just looking to stash bitcoin away for a couple decades five years a year we want to be the hub where if you're okay storing your bitcoin with a centralized party uh which we know is not for everyone Honestly, that's like the question I have. Which, like, we, I wanna, which we know is not for everyone. Do I want to dox my UTXs? I'm like taking my head. Like, ah, yeah, I mean, we, know, we know that's not for everyone. And that's, yeah. that's great. Um, but if you are okay with that, we hope that you know at some point in the near future you try it, you like it. One of the you know things we saw in the beta was that every time we pay interest, uh, which is once a month at the beginning of the month, uh, People refer their friends and like deposit more because they're like, "This is great! This is awesome!" Get more Bitcoin! Yeah, I'm getting more Bitcoin. Um, so we want to be the hub, right? So like in the same way that you don't take dollars out of your primary bank account at some point in time, uh, we would like to be that same account, but in a world where in the world where you're doing things with your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's uh, and going back to like the tax thing. Like, is there an amount of time where it just makes sense to keep it in that? Like is the uh, the tax thing is is interesting. So yeah, um, uh, this will be taxed at like interest. Um, uh, interest is taxed as a general rule unless it's from like a municipal bond or something as ordinary income. So uh, what we do every month is we take the price that Bitcoin was at the time we paid out the interest, um, and then that dollar number is what will show up on your uh, 1099 uh, div, which will will provide everyone a 1099. The 1099 div is like 1099 for dividends. Mm -hmm. Um, Or actually, it might be, sorry, not div, INT, 1099 INT. Um, Everybody will get one of those from uh, tax year 2019 from BlockFi, and it'll be in dollars. But you will have never had dollars hit your account 
at BlockFi, it'll all have been in Bitcoin. But one of the challenges operating in the crypto world is that taxes can be just a royal pain in the ass. And so we were like, okay, if we're going to do this, we need to figure out how to not make it a royal pain in the ass from a tax perspective. So that was the way we decided to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, it's a tax form, just like the tax form you get from an account at, uh, Betterment or, you know, so it's USD denominated. So you don't have to worry about like emergency costs and stuff like that. Yeah. You don't have to do all that, all that math and backtracking and transaction figuring out yourself. Yeah, hopefully they figure that out and just streamline it. It's well, hopefully they just remove, they put, put some beneficial tax rules around Bitcoin. Right. I think, I mean... A little clarity would be good too because I'm not sure it's interest actually. It could be just a dividend too since you started with that which means zero cost basis until you do something with it. Let's jump like stock split or something, right? So jump into that. So explain how dividends work. Uh, opposed to interest when it comes to taxes. And well, I actually don't know that well, so to be honest. Well, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> why, you, why do you think... Uh, there's, there's a concept of uh, qualified and unqualified dividends, yeah. right? I don't remember the difference between the two, but probably you pay less taxes on one and more on the well, other. Well, you get a stock, it's a stock dividend, right? So you start with having 10 shares, now you have 11. Can right? dividends only come from... So would it be a dividend... It would be a dividend for BlockFi and not from Bitcoin, obviously. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not a dividend. I just misspoke yeah. on the tax form. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. it's the INT, it's interest. I didn't look at it at all, but, you know, yeah. fine. Yeah. There's a lot of debate. And that's another thing. Like we're sort of part of this expanding universe where you don't know what you're expanding into and sort of figuring out how people are interacting with these products, how these products are interacting with traditional markets and liquidity pools and traditional trader tendencies and mindsets and how they interact with financial products. And Bitcoin did pop 3% one minute after we put the uh, press release. <laughs> well, that was actually... I'm taking credit. I'm taking credit. That was actually a day after I dropped the Jack interview, so I think uh, we, we can... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was like, dude, it was like... It was like... Okay, okay. The news was 8 a.m. and then Bitcoin, Boom. it was like... Boom. It was like... Yeah, I think that's when I dropped the pod, too. We'll figure out. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't, kidding. I, uh, I would be happy if that if I could just say that we did that. I'm like, hell yeah. I started a company in the crypto space. We moved the price the price of Bitcoin up three percent on some news that we put out there. That really makes me feel great. What do you think that is? if it if it well, were here's the thing, I mean having a yield on an asset is insanely valuable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take uh, my stone IPA and it pays a three percent yield versus Renee's stone IPA that pays nothing. My stone IPA is way more valuable than Renee's. Right. Well, I'll take the one with the yield, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Looks like you need another one. Though. Yeah, well, you've got yourself one, but you didn't get me one. I was uh, a bit surprised about that. Oh, you're in my home. Get whatever you need. Oh, thank right. you. Um, what was I going to jump into? Ah. What were... Oh. Back, so... Basically, to produce the yield that you guys have with this interest-bearing account, the people lending the, the Bitcoin on the other side need to... Being profitable endeavor, so I think going back to like the five oh, bu- the counterparty risk frame. Yeah, the five the five buckets of sort of counterparties that you're looking for and sure your so, risk models for that. So there's five right now. We're primarily operating in the top two, and we're doing a little bit in the third. So the first one I mentioned already was CME and SIBO. Second one is um, traditional financial institutions who have large businesses in uh, you know public equities or other. Uh, traditional markets, but are now starting to get active in crypto. 
Um, and the ones we're lending to the most are market makers and proprietary trading firms. Mm -hmm. um, one of the interesting things that happens that I think is important to note is that when you have a relationship with a firm like that, you are under uh, very strict non-disclosure agreements about saying that you lend them anything. Really, you can't. You're not allowed to disclose specifically who it is. Um, but one of the things we've been saying when we get this question is. You know, look at who invested in our last round at BlockFi to get an idea of the types of people we might be lending to. Mm -hmm. Fidelity, Susquehanna, Acuna Capital, CMT Digital, um, and others. The third group, so that's the second group, traditional FIs. Those two uh, we prioritized uh, the most. And the vast majority of the lending activity that we've done to date has been in those two markets. Um, third bucket we're active in a little bit, uh, which is the crypto business bucket. Mm -hmm. And there's a few different sub-segments of the crypto business bucket. There's um, long, short crypto funds, so like crypto only. Uh, there's uh, crypto OTC desks, so your you know, Genesis, Circle, Cumberland, all those guys. Um, and then there's uh, crypto ATM businesses, um, or kind of crypto corporates, right? So it could be an ATM. It could even be Jack with the Cash App. They mm -hmm. have to have the Bitcoin available to deliver the second somebody clicks buy on the Cash App. So they might borrow that at some point in time rather than just hold the balance sheet risk uh, of, the, of the price volatility. Fourth bucket um, is more traditional corporates, uh, which actually Jacks would be in the fourth bucket, not the third, but more traditional corporates. So in the US you have Square, in Japan you have Rakuten, um, anyone that's a traditional company, not just a crypto company, who uh, might want to borrow because they're in the uh, purchase and, and selling flow uh, with crypto. And then the fifth bucket uh, is DeFi. And we're not, uh, we're not, we're not active in buckets four DeFi. or five at all yet. Um, Your biggest but, competitor. What's that? Your biggest competitor, DeFi. DeFi. We, we, don't, we don't think of them as competitive. I mean, look, I, I think as a general market, we're, we're, we're kind of like pre... No. <laughs> I, I just feel like it's still so early, man, for the addressable market of this stuff. And uh, we, we don't think of them as competitive. We think, we think that we could be... We could leverage those platforms to help our business and vice versa. And... Uh, yeah, like, like how banks leverage uh, Prosper and Lending Club. Yeah. Well, no, I think because I say you're the fifth buck here, a little apprehensive, and how much of not apprehensive, it's just not that big yet. Yeah, well, exactly. So, how much of the nations of like this technology and uh, the space in particular, like, do you take in consideration? Like, does that keep you up at night? Like, holy shit, it's so early. Like, are we too early? Are we? Going to get caught in something because I mean, we jumped in, we jumped yeah. into the pool, so you can't worry about that that much. No. Uh, no. It's too late. It's too late. Already We've raised sixty million dollars, and we're doing this. And there's yeah. people who expect us to do this, so you can't just like wake up one morning and be like, "Ah, I think we're a little too early. We're getting out." No, I'm not saying you're going to think about getting out. I'm saying like, what keeps you up at night, like thinking about? The I'll space. tell you what keeps me up at night right now. It's less business stuff. Like honestly, it's um. It's trying to find a balance between like working with personally and with the team, uh, working all the time and having a good quality of life. Um, that that's what keeps me up at night, like literally right now. So prior to launching this product, 
there was a period of a month where it was, I mean, it was, it was just nonstop work. <laughs> and then we launched it, and we had like thousands of people on the first day signing up and getting through. We've never had that before in the company's history. Everyone, like, it was, yeah, I mean, it was controlled, but it was like controlled insanity. Like, yeah. it'd be radio silent in the office, and everyone was just like, like, I mean, it was, it was crazy. We're working a ton. We're working a ton, and uh, it's like you turn it down. It's like, oh, people like this. Like, yeah, and, and that's good, and it's yeah. very, very exciting. But um, you know, everybody's got their tolerance before they hit burnout, and uh, we have really great people on the team. And I also like, you know, there's parts where like this is my company, and like that person didn't sleep last night, or like that guy's got the flu, and he was like coding at three a.m. <sighs> because we like needed to get this product out, and so um, how do we resource the company? Properly, so that throughout our next stages of growth, when we're releasing the next products, there's maybe not as much of a uh, pressure-filled situation. Um, but that—that's what keeps me up tonight now. I'm not worried about the market. I feel—I feel—I feel actually great about the market. I do too. The I'm fact that we're still alive, the fact that BlockFi is just part of a theme of lots of companies and people who are still here, still building, good stuff, smart stuff, stuff that helps the market, It's that that doesn't worry me at all. Yeah. I haven't sold since the last time <laughs> I was here. I haven't sold, I haven't sold a, a single thing. I actually bought some more because I try stuff all the time. I'm like, oh, new thing over here. Like, I'll buy some through that. You know, uh, you know personally, I guess it's a good time to throw a disclaimer. BlockFi has been a sponsor of this podcast in the past, but you know, I've been uh, I've been stacking sets. Uh, been stacking sets via, like crazy, man. Via uh, via the ad sales, you know, that's how that's how I've been stacking sets recently. Um, but going one thing I'm fascinated like outside of product stuff, but like growing a company in particular, as a CEO. Like, how much do you weigh, like, spreading yourself too thin versus, like, by hiring too much people versus, like, keeping it, like, a core, let's grow slow and steady, like, with people that you fucking want to build this out? Like, how do you, how do you weigh that? Um, something that I read a while back that resonated, me, uh, resonated with me a lot was that um, if, you're, if you're the CEO of a startup, or even if you're just one of the first people uh, at a startup or a leader at a startup, you actually have to be good at operating like four different types of companies. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, you have to be really good at operating the you know ten people or less startup, where it's just like, hey, every day we can decide something, and then like by the end of the day, it's done. Like we just did that. <laughs> oh, cool, great, boom! Everybody knows what's going on. And then you get to like the ten to fifty or ten to seventy-five people stage, where somewhere as you're going through that, you're like, whoa, 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 guys, we need to have. Um, ways that we communicate things with everyone. Like just saying it now in a certain meeting doesn't work anymore because then, you know, Sally, Steve, and John were on vacation that week and then they come back and they have no idea what's going on. And so you've got to learn how to have communication that's scalable. That's also the stage where you need to start building a culture um, and talking about that culture because, you know, person number 60 shows up and if on day two you haven't told him kind of like the vibe we're going for here, he might do some weird stuff and you know, that's no fun <laughs> for anybody. Uh, and then you got like the 75 to 250 people stage where uh, all of those things kind of just get exacerbated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the 250 plus stage, which actually I'm not familiar with. Yeah. I, I don't even know what that stage looks like. I've read about it. 
Um, but I've always kind of been like a high growth startup guy. So uh, the companies I've worked at have already have always been bought before we've been two hundred and fifty people. So I don't know. I've been a small company guy myself. Yeah. I can't imagine working for a company like bigger than two fifty. I worked at Google for a month and I quit <laughs> <laughs> through through an acquisition. <laughs> no, I can't. No, that's one thing that fascinates me. I've been in a big company. Yeah. Yeah. How is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, can I tell an intro story for Renee oh, yeah. to talk about working at a big bank? So I knew Renee while he was still at Bank of America Maryland, mm-hmm. and then I knew him after he left and started working at BlockFi full time. It was night and day. He used to come in like when he was advising us, like in a suit, you know, scowl on his face, like super smart and nice guy, but like scowling kind of. And then afterwards, he's like dressing cool, smiling. His shoulders are like two inches shorter. You know, like, you're looking like, like you just hopped out of flat iron right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what's working at a huge company like? Uh, so it was actually time it was actually a lot of fun okay, to be honest but um, and that's what worries me a lot about crypto as well is that uh, when the regulators get around to it to sort of say okay let me tell you how to do things it becomes a lot less fun yeah you know and I, I as Zach knows I have a lot of problem with authority uh, I do as well boss. no no <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like a little bit like, you know, I mean, I, I know what's good, right? I mean, I, we can talk about it, but you don't need to tell me what's good and what to do. And, mm-hmm. and I find that the regulators tend to sort of go down that path, right? So, yes, I do think, I, I agree with, you know, of, of course, regulations need to sort of adopt crypto and we sort of need what we have already, make sure that crypto is incorporated because crypto is not addressed, like in many ways. But I don't think we need like special new ones, right? We have plenty of it as well. Um, it, it, it definitely does something, regulation, right? So how, how do things change at the bank between? Yeah. So um, before. Uh, how were the Louis Ranieri days? Yeah. So before then? that, before that, before the, the, the financial crisis, it was uh, there was a lot more. I would say um, it, it, it was not as hierarchical. And it was a lot more like, you know, okay, let's do things. Let's talk about it. Let's get to the right people. Uh, you would, you know, you have the credit department, you have the business side. I was at the business side. Uh, business, I want to do something. We talk to credit. We would go to our bosses. We would all go up together. And if it need be, the CEO would get involved if it was an idea we wanted to do. Um, that changed after wait, after wait. And, and it you know, how it changes a little bit, you should think about it. If the regulators find a problem in a business that's like, you know, far below, right? So it's like seven levels from the CEO. They find problems there. They actually type up a letter to the board of directors. And the board of directors say, what the fuck, right? So they, and they're not going to go to the business owner that's seven levels below. They go to the CEO, right? And then the CEO says, oh, shit. Okay, let me get Tommy come in because I don't know much about this, right? So everybody's sort of on the back foot and it gets worse as it comes down. And that creates sort of an, a culture where decisions are just completely centralized. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm becoming DeFi or, or you know, it's a, the decentralized or die, right? Kind of <laughs> it is like, it's completely the opposite that you want, right? And it, 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 it kills innovation and it, it kills morale as well and, and people become like a little bit like you know i got you kind of culture like let's 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 see how uh, 
I can um, I can demonstrate how you how you tripped up, what you did wrong, instead of actually, hey, let me help you and let me make it work. So Very different. I've got two. Very political too, by the way. I know, I know. I'm very anti-authority. I have like a physical aversion to authority. When somebody tells me what to do, I like shrivel up and like stop. You got married though. Uh, well, oh. I love my wife. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love my wife as well. I did get married. I'm not authority. I asked you to marry me. You work on boss. That's a partnership, okay? Partnership. Renee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got two follow-up questions. Yeah. One... So the regulators came down, obviously, because we got way too over-levered going up to 08. Uh, and uh, a lot of people would argue way too over-financialized. Like, so essentially, 08 was a run-on. Mm-hmm. Ro- run I think, on. I don't, I don't I think, think we should talk about what we thought caused 08. All right. All right. Let me get my question out. And let's yeah, all right, all right. So regulators came down because people would argue were over-levered, too financialized with too much intertwining leverage. In particular, uh, specifically with CDMs, uh, or excuse me, CDS. CMS. CDS. CMS. Yeah. CDS, credit default swaps. Yeah, credit default swaps, which were basically insurance policies on uh, securitization. The securitization. So yeah. collateralized mortgage. Collateralized. The MBSs, excuse me. Defaults. Mortgage-backed securities. The CDSs were the insurance policies yeah. on the MBSs. So people think that got out of hand, and that's why the regulation uh, sort of came down with the hammer. You guys... Seems like think something else was the cause, and then number two, in Bitcoin. So the episode I dropped today with Jake Shervinsky, we talked a lot about regulation and how you sort of foster light touch, and and how do we engage regulators? Should we engage them? Should we try to get ahead of the problem and say, hey, this is what we're doing? And how do you face this? Like, I would love no regulation, but obviously, that's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. So how how do you get ahead of it? So yeah, let's start with uh, 08 and go. Yeah, so wait, I mean. You know, there are probably many things that cause it, right? But one of the things is sort of like, so what was the immediate solution after it, right? So the immediate solution was just turn all the big broker dealers into banks. Yeah. Right? So uh, what does a bank have that nobody else has? Well, the bank can call the Federal Reserve and say, hey, give me more money, right? So let's print some more money, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just needed. So in my mind, it was mostly a liquidity issue that maybe turns a little bit into a capital issue as well, right? So people did there was not enough equity to support the business, not enough risk capital to support the business. But it, it for sure started with liquidity, and, it, 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 and, and that's what sort of said, okay, certain banks had no capital left, like say Merrill Lynch, so let you go and be part of Bank of America now. And others, they were told, you, you're now a bank. The banks are obviously like, you know, they have a really special status, right? So, as you know, they, they create money mm-hmm. uh, that we, we people in Bitcoin probably don't like as much, right? And we, we don't think it's a good thing. Bitcoiners are not f- fans of the Quintillion effect. Yeah, so, you know, it's a way of organizing, right? So, it, it went exactly the opposite, and that's probably also why there is something like Bitcoin, right? It went completely central. Right, that's, that, every decision is made by the Federal Reserve then, right? And the OCC. They determine what, what's going to go and what's not going to go, right? They're going to say, I don't like this business. You're out of it. And you say, as a bank, said, well, I like it. Well, guess what? You're no longer taking deposits in the United States. Oh, wait a minute. You know what? I, I'm not going to do this anymore, right? Uh, they did everything to make it central clearing. So you can say, like, okay, well, at least now we have one counterparty and the counterparty is great. Like, say, the, the, you know, they made it so that so that your capital requirements, if you face um, uh, the CME or any central clearing firm, that you have a lot less capital if you need, right? Uh, 
So that forces people to go into their business. And if you don't do that, that's okay too. We're going to set universal margin rules as well. So we're going to say you are like as you're facing exchange. So you might not like the fact that now you have to put up 20% margin and can be, or sorry, say, say, yeah, say 20% margin can only be five times leverage. You want to be 10 times leverage. You cannot do that just, just amongst each other. We can, we can set rules around that as well. Right? Um, but it's completely the opposite that, that, you know, that in the end people won't because people keep talking now as well, like, hey, the billions of banks are too big and want to break them up. You've got all this centralized risk. Well, actually, that's, that's what the rules did, right? The rules mm-hmm. force you to go in that direction. No, you had that famous chart of bank consolidation over the last three decades. And yeah, so not a lot of city banks left. Uh, right. Know, that's BlockFi, you know. We want to answer that, but yeah, it's it, it is. It, but do, it, it's not what you want, I think, right? But, but do the J.P. Morgans, the Bank of Americas, Chase, or um, who are the other big four? Wachovia, Wachovia, uh, Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo. Yeah, that's do they Wachovia. actually Wachovia? Wells, Wells Fargo, Fargo, Bob Wachovia. Yeah. I'm from Philly. So it's like the Philly. Yeah, 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 yeah City yeah. banks. So do those big banks? Do they want that consolidation? Are they happy about it? And if so, like. Um, well, think about it. I think Wells Fargo... Do they have feelings? Bad feelings towards Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, you, you, you... Do they want it, right? So, it's like, I think at the sort of um, management level probably makes it a lot easier if you're one of the four, right? Instead of one of the 40, because you got to actually compete for stuff. If you're a banker that gets paid in, uh, you know, you, 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 on the amount of deals you do, you probably be having much more decentralized. You go back, like, look, guys, I'm, I mean, I'd rather have a whole bunch of smaller broker dealers and I get, get a decent compensation, right? Or an outrageous compensation, depends on what you think you're worth, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or people think you're worth. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Wells got to a place that they had 10% of all the deposit in the United States and they were not allowed to acquire any more banks, right? It was that big and they're still that big. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's got more centralized, right? And I think people that listen to your podcast will probably think that it will agree that it should be a lot more decentralized no matter what, right? Yeah, well, that's what scares the shit out of me. I think that's why a lot of people who listen to this podcast are into Bitcoin. And that's why I'm into Bitcoin in particular, because I worked in the finance world. My, my job in particular was to follow the Fed, and I realized how much influence the Fed had over the markets and what everybody did. And I was like, this is just fucked. Like, and did you not, follow the narrow bank story at all, TNB? Um, it's pretty interesting. It came up recently. So there, there was this, ringing a bell. Yeah, so there were these guys. Um, I read this uh, this daily newsletter called Money Stuff from mm-hmm. Matt Levine. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it in like three weeks, and it pains me to say that because I love this newsletter so much. I follow him on Twitter, so I'll see it uh, See it fly down my tweet deck every once in a while. So he was talking about the narrow bank, okay? And basically the idea for the narrow bank was we're going to create a bank that just does one thing. We're just going to give people access to the Federal Reserve. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like that we're going to have one product. So, like, if you, if you hold your deposits with the narrow bank, it's just they're at the Fed. Like, that's it. That's all we do. <laughs> that's all we do. And... They got declined. The Fed said you can't do it. Because they're not taking on enough risk? And, the, and this is a recent thing, yeah, because they said, we think that if you do that, if we approve this, all the, you're going to be a big vacuum and all the deposits are going to come to you because why would anybody who's depositing want to deposit anywhere else if they could just actually get a risk-free deposit by having you as their counterpart? And make 2%. And, you, and right? you are basically the Federal Reserve. 
And make two percent instead of the fifty bips you get. Fifty bips, yeah, exactly. It, it yeah. Happened. Right. So yeah. they so they declined it, and their Super argument negative. was centered around all these was was centered around you know the broader economy. Mm-hmm. And it was saying if we let this happen, it's going to be a net negative for economic activity. And and it's a valid argument. So so you get you get you get into these kind of like catch twenty two situations where, you know, too big to fail. Or uh, in in BlockFi's case, not to bring it back to BlockFi, but like you have lawyers and try to do the right thing and disclose everything and then you're called out on Twitter for a second with Rissa. What was the other one again? Sorry, uh, yeah, I've seen you moment. Have a follow up question. Uh, this follow up question was about regulation in Bitcoin. Like it's pretty raw right now. Yeah. yeah. So, we, so obviously, I'm, I, you know, we need to hold our hands. The bare minimum. Right? Yeah. So what's the minimum we get away with? So the interesting thing about Bitcoin, obviously, what I, I think is also it's, it's it's a global thing, right? So if you regulate a lot of stuff in the U.S., then why people don't do it somewhere else, right? So, you, um, so you, I think you want to keep it to a minimum. Uh, but, and you can sort of regulate in the U.S. Uh, people going from Bitcoin into dollars, right? So, so regulate the fiat aspect of it. Right? Well, let's pull uh, let's pull the anarchist out of you. Like, can you regulate okay. this? No. <laughs> <laughs> can you? Like, how can you? Right? How can you? Right. And is there a point at which the authorities recognize this and throw their hands up and say, "What the fuck?" Like. But that's not in the nature of people that are called regulators, right? So regulators, they like to How do we get rid of them? Do. How do we get rid of them? Uh, oh, God, man. I wish I could. You know, like... I <laughs> 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 so there are a couple of buttons you can push on me, and this is probably one of them. But So I, I'm also a firm believer if we get to this down this path. Like, it, it's, it, 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 it's like, right? I mean, the United States was founded, right? As we all know, with the Boston Tea Party... And mm-hmm. said, you know, no taxation without representation. I also believe in the opposite, right? So, you know, like the, the, the government does, does, does whatever with the money you pay them, but I don't see much in return, if I could, like, say. Not only do you see much in return, but you give them their money, you give them your money, and then they turn around and piss in your face by completely spending it inefficient, spending it completely inefficiently, like a story. Right. So, so if you pay tax, then you can say what happens to it. Like even if it was like ten percent. If I say ten percent, I can say what happens. I feel so much better about paying taxes. Right. Um, ah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a note out there. I think that's the fifth time I said right on this podcast. I'm trying to stop saying right. Uh, it's a it's a it's a sort of tick of mine that I that I fall back on. I'm going to try to stop saying right on the podcast, freaks. But going back to taxation, that is something. When I was like 22. Working at the Managed Futures Fund, like that was one thing I worked on my spare time was figuring out a way to prove like where your tax dollars is going and like how can you Did raise you find out what it Did you figure it out? Or? No, 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 nobody ever will. All right. the, in the one story in particular that we talked about in this podcast uh, a couple weeks ago was there was an, an example that came out of so the the U.S. government, particularly the military, contracts a lot of work out to third parties and when it comes to acquiring face cream moisturizer for uh, people risking their lives overseas for the, the U.S. government, uh, not the U.S. government, the, U- the American people, the U.S. government was spending $14,000 on $30 uh, tubes of face cream. 
they spent, I think they racked up 65 million. But some screen now. Yeah, so, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Even so, they're paying 450x, like the price. And yeah. it's something, there's no, there's no accountability to tax. Yeah, so there's tax it, accountability. Yeah, to come back to your regulation, right? So you can regulate everything and say, okay, this is what's good, this is what's bad, and then the argument, what's good, what's bad, right? So instead of saying, okay, let's do the bare minimum, right? So, um, you know, you start obviously with you, you can't really commit fraud, right? So that's bad, and it's pretty sort of relatively easy to identify what fraud is. But do you need to regulate? Like one of the things that's regulated in equity markets is things like you know best bid and offers, and you gotta actually the best price. You gotta give the retail guy the best price possible. But in crypto, that's not possible directly because these exchanges or marketplace are not real exchanges from a regulatory perspective, right? They're not connected, so. You know, you trade in Kraken, you get a different price than trading at the same millisecond at Coinbase, right? Whereas in equity market, it doesn't happen. Let's talk about that. That's that's one thing that Jack Mallers and I talked a lot about. Um, Jack Mallers and Zap Wallet, bright young kid out of Chicago. Shout out Jack. But he comes from a, a family of CBOT royalty in particular, so he knows the Chicago Board of Trade and futures markets very innately and in, in the trading infrastructure that goes into linking up CME CBOT with traders in New York and across the world. And that was one thing he pointed out is like, it's atrocious, like how Bitcoin exchanges are, are run and interconnected at this point. And so like, what are the biggest... Or, or not connected, you mean? Yes. 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 Yeah. Fragmented. Yes, fragmented. And yeah, is that a bad thing? I mean, what, what, what's the alternative? What needs to happen? So what, yeah, is, what is the problem and what needs to happen? All right, so, so let's get all the governments together in the world that where crypto trades, like including Russia and China, wherever it is, and Korea, and let's all get into a room and come up with some uniform regulations. What are the chances of that, right? I mean... Zero. Zero, right? We cannot even agree on if there's global warming or not with all of us, right? And figure that out. So, let alone crypto. All right, let's right. jump into that. One. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, now we're talking. But, but like, but, but, I mean, there's no way they can agree. So why just don't immediately say, look, we're not going to agree on this. So just not do anything, right? Just say, okay, fine. There will be multiple prices of Bitcoin at any given time. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That probably is okay. And how will it solve? How do you, How is Bitcoin not 5,000 on Coinbase and at the same time 3,500 on Gemini? Well, that's because you got people that say, hey, there's an arbitrage, let me fix that. I'm gonna sell it at 5,000 at, uh, at, at Kraken and then buy it at 3,500 at Gemini and the prices will get closer. Right? And that, that clearly what's happening or something like that is happening because the prices are pretty close. On the yeah, there's story. And that's a good point. So in order to do that, some of these venues, and especially if you want to access them quickly, uh, you need Bitcoin. And so one of the, the bigger use case that we've seen for us lending Bitcoin so far versus using it to short is using it because you're, you're providing that service to the market that Renee just described. For the Arbors. And you need Bitcoin to do it. Yeah. And you've got a CFO at your proprietary trading firm who goes, Oh yeah, it looks like a great opportunity. It's selling for five thousand over here and thirty five hundred over there. We should take advantage of that. How much money do we need to do that? And he's like, the traders are like, we need a hundred million. And then and then he's like, great, approved. And then they're like, we need a hundred million in Bitcoin. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah, because if we do it in dollars, like we can't even trade on this one, and we, well, mm-hmm. and so. Then the CFO goes, well, can we just like borrow some Bitcoin? 
and lock in a fixed cost of you know what that's gonna what that expense is gonna be rather than start our market making activities with a net long exposure to Bitcoin because uh, you know I'm 60 years old and I don't believe in this stuff I don't even know what you're talking about no idea what this is and they go yeah sure we could borrow it and then BlockFi is on that other side lending it to them mm -hmm. that, that's how for example the price of ETF stays in line with the on the mine right yes. Like, simply because people are arbitraging that and creating and redeeming them at deciding the right price. No, this is something that has interested me for a while because I've heard second, third hand of people creating accounts in multiple countries. To... And they make money on that. Yeah, right? don't get yeah. me wrong. That's probably they okay. Get paid, they get paid for the service. They get paid for the service, right? You can also say, all right, let's get some regulators in the room and they're going to make sure that it's all correct and we're going to pay those guys. So my money is rather on the, you know, people that are motivated by economics to get this done than guys that are pencil pushers. And that's actually another fascinating thing about Bitcoin, though. It has found very smart people have found out ways to to exploit these arbitrage opportunities and stuff like that's that. Perfect, right? That's perfect. Yeah. You, you and I want that, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I, I want one price of Bitcoin or at least, you know, as close enough, right? So, what do you think about things like the trade block index or the Coverlands kind of indexes? It's great, no? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's um, phenomenal. It's really great. Well, so, and you guys are using Gemini. So, you is all of your price index off Gemini's uh, price at any given time? No, we no? use we use an index. Which one? Uh, I can't say. Can't say. Okay. Could say, but would rather not. Um, no, because people could look at that index and try to. Manipulate. It's less about yeah. that. It's more just like I think there's a lot, there's a handful of good index providers, and I don't want to say which one we used first and have that influence anything or whatever. Ooh, ooh, cloud, cloud flexing on the pot tonight. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, now yeah. we're an hour and twenty in. What uh, outside of BlockFi, like a Bitcoin, what what's exciting you? The most in Bitcoin in particular, like you said, you're as bullish as ever. I'm as well. I think, me personally, I think fundamentals are fucking incredible, from a technical technology perspective, and then from a macro perspective. Let's talk macro. Um, macro scaring the hell out of me right now. The themes around the world. So talking macro. Um, so in my mind, there's a couple things that drive macro. There's basically demographics, and then how well is your currency measured? Um, demographics, I'm bullish on China, despite how you know authoritarian their regime is. Uh, how is your currency measured? I'm bullish on the dollar. Combine those, I'm in general bullish on currency consolidation as a theme that happens. I think that um, one of the things that the internet did was it, you know, you could say that it had a large, uh, a large level of influence in toppling a few dictators because there were people who could message each other on Facebook and gather up at the same place at the same time and you know tell the dictator to go fuck himself. Um, I think that I think I think cryptocurrency will enable that same type of revolution in certain places uh, in the next you know I don't know two to ten years. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that currency consolidation will be a theme. I don't like I, I don't think that we need to have. However many currencies we have, I think it's like way too many. I think there could be 
five or ten or t maybe twenty at the most. But like we just don't need that many. We're interconnected now. Like let's just find, let's consolidate. And I hope that Bitcoin is one of those that gets consolidated into. I do as well. And one thing out of Deutsche Bank, I believe they uh, presented this a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago at most. I found fascinating was there's more $100 bills in circulation now than $1 bills and mostly being bought uh, by foreigners. Dude, the so the demand, beast. Yeah, the demand for the dollar is higher. Now that, when I saw that stat that there's more $100 bills than $1 bills in circulation, I was like, what the fuck? That, I would have never guessed that. So that shows. Dollars and then, beast. Uh, beast. I know, you, you, we, we discussed this the first time you were on. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's... It's getting precarious though. Still, like we're we're a few years away from our tax receipts being less than the interest owed on the debt that we've accrued. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. Here's the thing: it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah, what do you mean? Well, that's all I hate that, that argument. Yeah, people say that. People say never, like never say never, like magic money theories. Stuff, <laughs> <laughs> stuff does come to fruition, and the roosters do come, or the hens do come home to roost. Like, yeah. This stuff cannot happen forever, I don't think. I don't know. It's a... Uh, yeah, but can it can keep happening for the next 100 years? 200 years? I don't know. I feel... 100, 200 years? I don't know. I but don't. but here's, here's what I struggle with. I'll tell you what I struggle with, with the demise of the dollar thought. What takes its place? Bitcoin. Yeah, not, but, but, but here's the thing. And I'm not like, saying right now. The, the reality... But I don't think it's 100 to 200 years. What if there's a power outage? <laughs> like an EMP attack? Then we got bigger problems. No, we had a power outage in New York City, too. It's not that long ago. I mean, I don't remember it. I'm not sure when it was, but there was like... Well, hopefully... hopefully Sandy, right? I was, Sandy? I was sleeping, I was sleeping, a power I was sleeping in my winter coat or something. I remember yeah. that, yeah. Well, hopefully by the time... Again, I don't think Bitcoin's going to take the do over the dollar like in the next decade or two decades, maybe three decades, but hopefully... Uh, by the time that has come, uh, mesh networks and satellite networks and radio short-term or yeah, short-term radio wave networks have been worked out, and you don't need electricity; you can send it via radio wave. I'll tell you what we can do, Renee. Okay. Print paper bitcoins. <laughs> you can do that oh, as well. Yeah. Why not? Somebody's got to do that, right? I've got an open dime right here. Things yeah. come full circle. Yeah. Things come full circle. I mean, Amazon's got physical stores. Yeah. So, Renee. Renee, how do you yeah. see Bitcoin? Like, do you ever see it becoming a reserve currency, or do you see it playing uh, a niche like gold in the future? Uh, um, no, no, no. I, I really like the payment rails. That's fucking awesome, right? Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I, it, you know, could, could I see like you know? I actually think that that currency could be like a lot more local too, right? So you can say something like you know, I like decentralization a lot, I guess. You know, like you know, when you go get a beer at the bar, you know, you can pay in, in a couple of dollars. You don't really need Bitcoin for that kind of stuff, right? But you know, I can imagine also that if you're if you're you know the Chinese or Russian government, you just must hate the fact that oil is denominated in dollars and not in something else, right? So some of these things will probably start a bit outside of the U.S. Our systems here work in the Western Europe in general, or West, oh sorry, in in the Western countries in general, it works pretty well, like. Uh, and, you, you, you can buy things, the, the credit systems work, you can borrow stuff, um, other places won't work. And then probably there first you say, well, look, you know, Bitcoin is a very good alternative to many other currencies, maybe not towards the dollar yet, but, um, 
know, could it could it like take over the dollar? Sure, you know, mm-hmm. at some point. I like when the an- anarchist comes out over there. Yeah. No, I know it's in there. I know it's in there. It, it's. I can yeah. see the aversion for authority. Yeah. I have. I can. I can see it in somebody's face as somebody who has it themselves. You know. Yeah, I, I, I do have a, a hard time with. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're pressing an hour and a half here. It's been fun, guys. Felt like twenty minutes. Right? Yeah. Um, that's what I'm trying to think. Where are we get? So, are you guys going to steal all the Bitcoin? I guess that's the the one question. Steal. I, are you guys going to steal all the Bitcoin? That's the one question I have to ask. No, I mean I'll say I'll say it right now. So there's, I don't think we've said either one of these things before. Um, the money in the interest accounts is the most senior part of our capital stack, and you probably know what that means mm-hmm. um, we will and also any money from BlockFi employees and I think I was account well I know I was account number one and I think Renee was account number like four maybe or something in the in the interest account um, anybody else's money is also senior to any BlockFi employee money that's in the accounts uh, I view BlockFi's worst case scenario as being we don't raise the next round of venture capital we go bankrupt and everybody gets their money and that sucks for us because we're heavily invested in BlockFi equity with our time and salary reductions. Um, it's impossible for me to see a scenario where we have lost people's money in the interest account. I, I, that's what I said on Rapid Hole Recap last week. I find it hard. Like, you guys are very well capitalized. And I... I, I you freaks out there. I've sat down with Zach many times. I trust you as a businessman. And oh, I think... Uh, no, I think... That, but it is interesting to see once you announce these products like crypto, Twitter, especially the hardcore Bitcoiners react. But again, like these products, if you don't want to use them, don't use them. And if you... like, there are, It's not the beauty have a choice. Right? I'm sorry. If the market wants more choices, it's there. I put out a tweet the other day uh, and it said... It was like, Prediction. In uh, 2019, Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin in 2019 is going to be up for the year between somewhere between like 25 and 200 percent. And that's and, it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the I, 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 well, I actually, I actually <laughs> believe that we're we're in a different era now, where because there's so many instruments available, you're not going to see a. I don't think we're going to see a like you know, we're up 10x this year. Like I, I just think that's those days might be behind us, and that's okay. I still think it's a phenomenal investment. I think it's going to be up a lot. I think the risk-adjusted return beats you know most of anything else that's in my portfolio. Um, so we're going to be in you know January second, January third, January fourth, twenty twenty, and all the financial publications are going to be writing about the performance of assets in twenty nineteen, and Bitcoin's going to look really great. And then new people are going to come in and buy Bitcoin because of that. Some of them for the first time. And what do we want? And, and maybe they follow some uh, Bitcoin people on crypto Twitter. And what do we want those like brand new users who have never owned it before to arrive to? And we want them, and, I, and the question, I did a little poll. I was like, what do we want those new users to arrive to? And there are three options. And the first one was a diversity of good options. The second one was ICO shields. <laughs> and the third one was not your keys, not your Bitcoin only. <laughs> right? <laughs> and the results were like 68% or 70% a diversity of good options. Uh, 7% of people voted ICO shills. 
<laughs> and like 30% was not your keys only. Um, I just don't think it has to be an either or. Right? Like, it doesn't, you don't have to pick one or the yeah, other. Like, you, yeah. Clearly, it's better if it's either. Yeah, like, I mean, if, you know, someone who's 60 years old... Uh, send it, it, bro. I mean, can you imagine explaining to your parents how to use a Trezor? Then maybe you could. I can't. Do you think like, the Trezor's going to work in 10 years, by the way? Thought about that? Oh, that's an interesting... <laughs> my computer my computer from 10 years ago, I can't get it to run anymore. Uh, I've still got shit on it that I never took off because it was too lazy. I mean, the hardware wallet, I'm not going to pick on Trezor in particular, the hardware wallet. No, hardware wallet. Sorry, yeah, hardware yeah. wallets in particular, I mean, they are very specific. I'm not sure, but obviously... The paper wallet will work. If it was paper wallet will work. Yeah, I mean, just ideally... Just make sure it doesn't burn somewhere or whatever. Or yeah, ideally you have, like, you have it, like, embedded into, like, a piece of gold or something that's in, like, a, a gun lockbox, as Pierre Richard Did you see, see Lop in the New York Times? <laughs> yeah. Shout out Jameson. Dude, no, I, I don't, did you see I'm that? Did you see the mainstream? I didn't see yeah, the newspapers anymore, sorry. Uh, <laughs> either do I. <laughs> 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 I just tweeted asking the blog and Twitter, that's it? Yeah. Uh, Jameson, uh... Like once a week and out with you or something from the Economist, that's enough. Yeah, Jameson, I... I've changing every day, man. I love the blog. I haven't read the article. Off the grid after being swatted, yeah, it's a real threat. Um, it's a uh, talk about paper, you know, and Sandy, you know, where uh, Boney kept their certificates. Where in Water Street? In <laughs> well, you know why it's called Water Street, probably too, because the water probably. Yeah, so we got it back. Uh, our documents, pretty water damaged, and had to go to the issuers and get it. You know, get new it, ones. New, new ones. ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually. I hope, I hope, right? yeah, but I hope I, there's, but there's unique ways. So I actually th- thought of a, or I didn't think of, I was introduced to an analog, uh, or excuse me, a manual way to store your private keys where you basically have uh, an off-network multi-sig setup. I really hope I can get this guy on the podcast to come explain it. But you basically have a number system that you associate with words in a dictionary and you just keep those numbers like on a piece of steel or a piece of paper, whatever, in many places. And you know, uh, a special edition of a specific dictionary that you go find and you match up. It's fun to be your own bank, right? Right? It's fun to be your own bank. And you match up your own words. You got a you hundred random people in a room at a cocktail party. How many of them do you think are capable of doing that? Right? <laughs> Not many. But that's, that's the other thing. willing, too, right? Yeah. More yeah. willing, yeah. But again, it's. Uh, I would argue it's worthwhile if you can take full control of it, uh, at least some of it. But again, going back to like I think the... there will be times, right? So certain times, times you have full control. Exactly. Like if you're fucking escaping China or some North Korea or whatever it may be, and you want to fucking run around the world naked so nobody like strip searches you for your treasure or whatever. Yeah. If right. you live in New York and lost your apartment keys two months ago and feel incredible anxiety when you have responsibility over the security of anything... You have to remember all those steps that you just described. It's, uh, and that's okay. It's okay. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Nirage, uh Bitcoin tweets was I think it was after Zappo came out and announced like their vault services like in the middle of the Alps Switch or something like that. Yeah. yeah, he's like, yeah. Great. So it was like a meme of uh, uh, 
not Nelson, one of the other Simpsons characters. Lisa, the guy is Ralph. It was uh, Ralph, like, I have existential fear. He's like, yeah, this is how I feel, knowing that some people have their Bitcoin in a vault in the Alps and mine's on a post in my underwear drawer. (laughs) 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 It's, uh, no, it's it's something I have to overcome. And that's actually why I'm excited to see, like, more multi-sig solutions come out, too, because I think that helps the problem as well. Um, And so, like, forcing that, the UX around multi-sig in particular is something I'm fascinated with right now as well. Shout out to the guys at Unchained. Yeah, shout out to Unchained. Drew, uh, Drew, Joe, Ke- Joe Kelly, and Mounts in the Vault. Um, uh, you guys have multi-sig in the future? No, we don't custody anything. <laughs> <laughs> we think custody should be free and we should not do it. Yeah. That's, uh, no, it's interesting. It's, that's the other thing. Like you said, it's so early and it's so interesting seeing everybody attack a piece of the pie in different ways and I think I what we want. Yeah, exactly. And I think I'm like you said, and we've been hinting not even hinting, overtly saying throughout the podcast, like I'm more optimistic than I've ever been. Unless unless there, there's an EMP it's attack. To feel solar, yes. There's a solar flare, yes, we could be wary. It's starting to feel it's starting to feel good. Yeah. But believe it or not, we're getting closer to like not having to worry about a solar flare. Which is actually crazy to think about. How so? Yeah. What is that? Like a sol- so, so the the hypothetical is like a solar flare EMP attack wipes out the electricity. How do you propagate Bitcoin transactions? And technically, you could use like oh, radio, radio waves or mesh networks. Hopefully, people are saving some stuff in Faraday cages so they can like, use their antennas. <laughs> well, at least someone at least someone needs to keep the blockchain somewhere, right? <laughs> well, it's being backed up on this computer every ten minutes or every block. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. At least you're you're so go to you. Yeah. Or somebody, or somebody around the world who wasn't affected. Yeah. That's what uh, Frank Mer- or Frank Merkel, Ralph Merkel, um, I think he said it best. Like Bitcoin will survive like a nuclear apocalypse. It's like uh, like a like a, a cockroach that will never die that keeps replicating itself in geographically dispersed areas. And yeah. if like a nuclear pop- apocalypse came, it'd be like the rats, the cockroaches of Bitcoin that would like survive. All right. Yeah. Good. I gotta buy some more Bitcoin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I guess it's a good place then. You guys got any parting notes for the freaks? Stay freaky. Stay freaky. That's what we try to do here. We're dang. Welcome to, to Thunderdome, dude. Welcome, guys. I can't wait to uh, to bring uh, the anarchist in you out a little bit more yeah. the next time I speak. I wanna next, time, next time, just Renee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll make it happen. Gentlemen. Thank you for coming by the apartment. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Peace and love, freaks. Boom. It was fun. It was good, right? Yeah. It flew by. Like you said, it was two hours. I thought it was 20 minutes. It said it was two people, two hours. Is that what you're thinking? I just let it go. Once it hits an hour 20, I'm like... So when's the woman coming home? Uh, I don't know. She never texted me. Her show probably started right now, so not for a while. Uh, so when are you going to put this out? Um, I just want you to give us a heads up so we can retweet it and pump it. I'm thinking uh, Thursday. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I could I could turn around. I could, or Friday. Friday's probably the best day to do it. Yeah. Friday's the best download day. So I'll do it then. Just shoot me an email or a, or a DM or like whatever. That way I can tell her out. Like, oh my God, I forgot to hit record.